0: How many of you guys were like doing this right over here Just on the little light of mine? You were, and you were trying to stomp and clap, and you realized you couldn't do that. That's good. Good to see you guys in the park. Are you here? All right. Some of you are here. Good job. Way to go. All right. So today is uh, I call this the bonus message in Colossians. Um, it was an eight sermon series originally. And uh, so I added a ninth because I love Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. And so I'm going to read it first, and then we're going to dive in. So Colossians chapter 4, verse 2 out of the NLT. Paul writes, Devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. Pray for us, too, that God will give us many opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan concerning Christ. That's why I'm here in chains. Pray that I will proclaim this message as clearly as I should. Live wisely among those who are not believers. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you'll have the right response for everyone. And I'll jump down to verse 16 where Paul tags the letter and he says, After you've read this letter, pass it on to the church at Laodicea so they can read it too. And you should read the letter I wrote to them. I'll come back to that text later. Today... The title of this message is called Pray and Pass It On, and I'll get into that in just a minute. But first, I want to talk about briefly as a way of introduction, answers to prayer. You know, when I was getting ready for this message, I did a Google search on the power of prayer, just because sometimes I like to Google stuff. Um, I found out Google isn't a Christian. I don't know if you knew that or not. But i tell you what, if you're looking to Google for your answers, you're not going to get comforting ones. And so I searched uh, prayer, and it referenced some studies. Some studies show that prayer really works. There are a lot of studies that show that. But some studies don't show that. But I believe, based on a lot of things, I believe prayer is the most powerful thing in the world. I've seen prayer turn marriages around. I've seen marriages that were, like, over, and somebody started praying. Sometimes it wasn't even the, the people in the marriage And within a period of time, sometimes short, sometimes long, God would show up and it would turn around. I've seen disease go away, literally vanish because some people prayed. I've seen churches turn around. I've seen relationships fixed. I've seen people who couldn't be happy become happy. I'm telling you, prayer is the most powerful thing in the world that a human being can do. I believe in prayer. So I want to ask you a question. I want you to respond with either an amen or a clap or or just a noise. You can just go, woot, woot. Sorry. Sounds funny now. Has God ever answered a prayer for you? Amen. Amen. In this room, man, this big room, I kind of like doing church in God's temple, you know, God's cathedral. Nice ceiling work, you know. But in this room, I know, in this group, I know that there are people who've overcome addiction, disease, their lives have been healed, hearts have been restored. I know you're not perfect. You know you're not perfect. But I also know that God has answered prayers and moved in every life in the house in some way, whether we recognize it or not. So I believe in the power of prayer. Now, what's that have to do with today and the idea of praying and passing it on? Well, I believe that we as Christians need to reset our scoreboards and our goalposts and what we're shooting for. I think what we've been doing as we pray a lot of times is we're trying to get God to help us. And I think that shows how small of a request that we're actually making of God. And I would like to propose that as Christians, our mission in life is not to get a little help to do what we feel like needs to be done But I feel like our mission in life is to live out the miraculous. I'm going to say that again. I feel like our mission in life is to live out the miraculous. That's that's a lot better. Good job. Why am I saying that? Jesus Christ, before he left in Matthew, he said, go into all the world. He told us to carry the gospel. Carry it, not send it, not mail it, not shoot a video out, but to carry it into the entire world. When the Apostle Paul was uh, writing his letters from prison, his goal, though, as he was writing those, was to carry the gospel into all the world personally, all the known world Paul wanted to be the first guy to share the gospel in every place that he could. That's a big dream. And I don't know if you've ever read the last part of Mark. But if you read the last few verses, the longer ending of Mark chapter 16, that'll make the most charismatic person in the park nervous. Because he talks about walking in power, God moving, uh, overcoming snake bites, raising the dead, and healing the sick. My point is this. Jesus didn't die for a comfortable middle class existence. Jesus died that you and I live in the power of, of the kingdom that he represented. Amen. We're not going to do that in our strength. We're not going to do that in our strength. We have no power. We can't heal the sick. Or raise the dead. We can't in our own strength reach the world. And I think, I think we've tried. But I think because we're relying on our own strength. And we're asking God for help we're falling short. And rather than learning how to go to the throne room of God and ask God to do what only God can do. I don't know about you, but I want my life to be a reflection of what God can do, not what Michael can do. Did you say amen to that? All right, so how do we get there? What's Paul telling us about? Because I love this passage. He talks about devoting yourselves to prayer, and so let's lay some fundamentals of a Christian life. Let's change up our understanding of what it means to be a Christian based on what Paul's writing in Colossians chapter 4, because I don't know what your idea is of what it means to be a Christian. It's not to be an American. It's not to be a good person. It's so much more than that, and that's what I need you to understand Because when you understand that God wants so much more from you, it puts you in a place where you have to ask God for what you need. So let's start with this idea that Paul says, devote yourselves to prayer. So I think the first foundation we've got to understand is this. Christians pray. Christians pray. Now I know you may be sitting there going, well, I really have a hard time with prayer. I understand that. In fact, I would also say that prayer is, of all the spiritual disciplines, for me personally, prayer is the most challenging. I'm a task-oriented individual. I love people, but I have to turn them into a task in order to hang out with them. And if you know me, it's, it's weird. I know it's strange, but it's how I roll. And so when I'm praying, a lot of times I feel like I'm not doing anything. When it's the most important work that I could ever do is Pray. But I want you to understand, Christians pray. It's what we do. Paul says that we are devoted to prayer. And I want to give you a few scriptures out of Acts and, and Romans that kind of point to the early Christians' view on prayer and what God expected through the writings of Paul and Luke that they would be like. And so in Acts chapter 1, verse 14, it tells us those early Christians, even before the Holy Ghost comes down, in verse 14 it says, They met together and they were constantly united in prayer. They were constantly united in prayer. As I read these scriptures, we need to put our lives on the scale and see where God's setting the ideal and where we're living our lives, right? So that's painful, yes, but it's good for us to see where God wants us to be. Acts 2.42, I love Acts 2.42 to the end of the chapter, about verse 48, because it shows that first that first move of God, and here's the church in, in a way that we can best understand it coming together. But we find out in verse 42 that they were devoted to a number of things, and one of those things that they were devoted to, devoted to, was prayer. In Acts chapter 6, verse 4, the apostles were trying to resolve a conflict in the church, and that's when deacons came into being, or these uh, servants who would help assist in the taking care of widows and different things distributions of food. And the disciples said in Acts 6-4, they needed this program so that we apostles could spend our time in prayer and teaching the word of God. And then Paul concludes his letter in Romans twelve twelve, and he says, rejoice in our confident hope, be patient in trouble, and keep on praying. Keep on praying. What I'm asking you to do right now, I know it's probably hard to focus in on me. As we, it's so beautiful out here and so many things going on. But guys, Christians pray and they're devoted to prayer. So ask yourself now, is prayer important in my life? Well, then Paul goes on to the, in the text in Colossians. He says, devote yourselves to prayer. And he gives us some instructions on what that looks like. He says, do that with an alert mind and with a thankful heart. So when he says alert mind, what's he saying? How should we be praying? Because a lot of folks, your prayer is a, it's, it's at a place where it needs to mature a bit. And what I mean by that is, yes, prayer is asking God for stuff. It is certainly that. It will never stop being that. But it's so much more than that. And so Paul envisions this way of praying where I'm not just telling God the things that are wrong in my life or the things that need fixed, but I am listening to him. So imagine that, a prayer that listens. Do you understand that that would make prayer a conversation rather than a monologue? Do you understand that? This is the kind of prayer that Paul wants in your life, a prayer that listens to what God's saying as we pray, that's in tune to what he's doing. I think there are some really critical Christian disciplines. I think prayer is like number one on the chart. I think worship is also number one on the chart. I think we have to just get in that place where we can comprehend the presence of God. Coming together as the church in every possible setting, every way we can, small groups, one-on-one, as a congregation, I think that is also number one. We have to do that. We need each other so desperately. I think one of our challenges as Wyomingites Knights. Is we are always trying to cowboy up. And that is not how God made us to be. That is not how God made us to be. We are not to live our lives independent, but in interdependence with God and each other. But that's another message for another time. And there are some other things that, if they are in place in your life, they are going to propel your place, your life forward. But in that place of prayer, we come to a place where we learn to not just tell God what we need, but to listen to what God is saying to us. Then Paul talks about a a uh, a thankful heart, and the word that's translated thankful is Eucharista. It comes It's where we get our word Eucharist or communion. And he talks about praying in a way that's filled with gratitude and thanks for what God has done. Think about it, man. A lot of times we're asking God for stuff, and we're we're caught up in our needs. But man, God has answered so many prayers in our life. God's done so many good things for us. We are so blessed. And man, when we pray and, we're, and, and we have a hard time, I don't know, feeling joy or peace, the fastest way that I've found is to start thanking God for what he's done. So Paul tells us to, to devote ourselves to prayer, to pray with an alert mind, to, to pray with thankfulness. But then he also says, pray that I will proclaim. Pray that I will proclaim. Think about that for a second. I've I've spoken to a few people in settings like this in my life. I'm always amazed what I meant to say versus what people hear. Sometimes... Um, it makes me look really stupid, but it's okay. It feels pretty comfortable on me sometimes. The the thing is, Paul understood that if we were ever going to be heard from a gospel perspective, from the area of truth, it would have to be proclaimed from a position of prayer. So guys, Christians pray. Ask yourself a question before we get into the application part of this talk How's your prayer life? Christians pray. Second, Christians live differently. Christians live differently. Paul says in that text that we should pray, but he says, verse 5, Live wisely among those who are not believers. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. So Paul wants us to to live wisely. What does that look like? What does it mean to to live wisely? Well, the Bible tells us that Jesus is the wisdom of God. And it's easy to go through life and and live your life from a perspective of knowledge, of, of being rational and reasonable. It sounds good. How many of you husbands have said that to your wife? Honey, you're not being rational. How'd that go over? That was not the right answer. I was coached on that answer right there. That was not the right answer. I just want to say, Jesus Christ did not live a rational life. He didn't live a reasonable life. Walking around healing people, raising folks from the dead, preaching a message of a different way to live in a world that was completely hostile to that. That was not reasonable. Paul's in jail as he writes the book of Colossians. To Almost all his letters he wrote from a jail. And all he had to do to get out of jail was to stop. To stop talking about Jesus. That's all he had to do. But he didn't. He kept going. My point is, Paul didn't live reasonably. Jesus didn't live reasonably. They lived wisely. They lived wisely. And that's what you and I have to learn how to do to live in wisdom, not just knowledge. You can't live like this life is all there is. I hear Christians say it all the time. Well, you've got to enjoy life while you can. That doesn't actually make sense if you're a Christian and believe that you're going to live forever. If you really believe that this is the crucible by which you were actually born, and your next life is your real life. And so, <clears throat> excuse me, we need to learn to live wisely. Then he tells us to learn to speak graciously. I really kind of wanted to go on a tirade about how we speak, but I won't do that, okay? But well, Paul does tune into three, a couple of words, two words actually. Logos is the Greek word he uses for word. And a word, what is a word? A word is just an expression of what's on your mind. It's you trying to articulate in the form of a word what you are thinking or are feeling. And so Paul says you got to get those words out there, but then you have to do it graciously. You have to speak in a way that's filled with grace. What's grace? Well, if you went to Sunday school, you probably heard the definition of grace being undeserved favor. You ever heard that? Give me a nod. You ever heard undeserved favor? Let me, let me throw this at you. You ready? This might sting a little. If that's all grace is, then Jesus never had any. Because the Bible says Jesus was filled with grace and truth. But Jesus deserved it. When you think about grace, think more about How that when we act with grace, in fact, here's how I was picturing it this morning as I was thinking through this. I was thinking of of a, of a classical ballet dancer because when you see ballet, that is the epitome of grace graceful movement, right? Now, don't imagine me doing ballet. That is not grace, that is broken stuff, okay? Don't imagine that. I'm just saying have you ever seen something that moved you by its grace? It might be like a a butterfly flitting across a flowery field. Or a dance that you've seen or participated in. Or it might have been a, a song that you heard and it evoked in you a feeling of joy. Maybe wonder. It connected with you in a deeper place. That's what grace, that's a beginning of a definition of grace. And if there is a word in English that should have an infinite definition, it's the word grace. It just never stops. So, we need to learn to speak our minds with and our hearts with grace. Some of you guys are cold and I'm breaking a sweat. Are you jealous? I had someone hug me earlier just for my body heat. I felt so used. (laughs) I'm just kidding. (sighs) But grace is undeserved favor. And grace... Excuse me, because I lost my verse I wanted to share, so I got to come back to it. There it is Psalms 512. The Bible says, It's you, for it is you, speaking to God, who blesses the righteous man, O Lord. You surround him with favor as a shield. You've heard me say, not really tongue in cheek, but I know people react to it. You're God's favorite. It's based on this idea of God's grace toward us, God's favor. And the psalmist in Psalm five, 5 sees that God's favor is like a shield for us, that we live and move and breathe in God's favor. I know for some that's really difficult to wrap your heart around because you feel so condemned and you're living a life that experiences a lot of guilt and you blame yourself for a lot of things. And there's a way to be free from that. And there's a way to move from that self-condemnation into a life that's shielded by favor. Say favor. favor. Let's do it again. Favor. Does that feel good? It should. Because God has given us favor like a shield around us. So we speak graciously, and then of course, Jesus told us to live attractively in that as well. To live in a way that honors the world around us, loves the world around us, and invites the world around us. I'm always amazed how that Jesus Christ got invited to parties, and not just you know church parties. He did get invited to church parties. Those are the ones he got in trouble at. I was just reading yesterday about a Pharisee that invited Jesus over, and Jesus comes and has dinner with him. They're having a get-together, and then Jesus starts Laying him out <laughs> about all the things that, in fact, the pa- one of the passages that, that's filled with these woe unto you, to the Pharisees, is Jesus having dinner with a Pharisee, you know. And so Jesus got invited to parties, but he also got invited to the not religious, not churchy, the not okay parties. And that amazes me, because Jesus was unapologetic about the truth. Jesus never backed off of the truth. You read the Sermon on the Mount, and he, he didn't just... He didn't just light, not lighten up on the truth. He intensified it. He said, hey, man, you know, you've heard that you shouldn't commit adultery. But I say, if you are looking at a woman with lust in your heart, you've already done it in your heart. And so Jesus intensified the law. He never backed off the of truth, but he still got invited to the party. And I have to ask myself, what was the difference with Jesus Christ? Was it the fact that he loved people, he cared about them, that he he didn't just try and tell them the truth, but he also invited them into something higher than they were experiencing, which was love? I don't know. All I know is that you and I are called to emulate that, and Paul saw us doing that. He saw us living our lives very, very differently. And then... Paul saw, he said, make the most of every opportunity. So I already said Christians pray. I said Christians live differently. The third thing I want to point out about Paul says is this. Christians get opportunities. Christians get opportunities. Henry Blackaby, in his Experiencing God series, it's probably about 30 years old now, called it divine appointments. And we make these divine appointments. And and believe me, I told you earlier, I confess to being task-oriented. I don't think it's a bad thing. Sometimes you need a Martha. Sometimes you need a Mary. Just don't be a Martha when you're supposed to be a Mary. (laughs) That was one thing Jesus said. (laughs) But but we realize that as we, we think about those, we get these opportunities. Sometimes when I'm in that task zone, I miss them. I remember when I was working for McDonald's some years ago, a lot of times I just have a lot to do. Every day a lot to do. And I, and I would look back after a day, many days, and realize I missed this chance. I missed this opportunity. I missed this way. And, and we live in a world that's so far from God and, and, and isn't open to direct proclamation of the gospel so often that those divine appointments we really need to learn to look for. And Paul acts like we're going to get them. So we need to be aware that they're coming. And we need to be ready with an answer when they get there. He says how to he says have a right response. I want to give you two scriptures about the right response part. In 1 Peter 3:15, Peter says, instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. I want that's that's one sentence pulled together by a con- conjunction in English as translated in NLT. But I want you to see what Peter did. He connected worship To the right answer. Which brings us back to the idea of praying. With an alert mind. And a grateful heart. And praying for proclamation. Peter realized that if we're ever going to have the right answer. That it's going to come out of our seasons of worship. Then then Paul comes out in 2 Timothy 2.15. Which you're probably fairly familiar with. And he says do your best. To present yourself to God. Think about that phrase for a second. Present yourself to God. Let me finish the text before I come back to that. As one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. A lot of times when we think about having the right answer, we only think about the study part. I need to find out how to answer arguments about science or arguments about emotions or arguments about mental illness or blah, 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 blah. And we spend our whole lives worried we're not going to have the right answer because we don't know enough. But that's not what God's Word's teaching us. God's Word is telling us that the right answer comes out of the right presence. The right presence. Because Peter says, you worship God, and then you have the right answer. And then Paul says, you present yourself to God, and then you study to find the right answer. What we do is, We find a knowledgeable, rational, reasonable answer. But we don't spend time in the presence of God. And that brings us back to prayer. Did Jesus pray? Did Jesus pray? Did Jesus pray a lot? He was the son of God. He came from heaven to earth. Why did he pray? What did prayer do for Jesus? And what will prayer do for us? And let me flip that on its head. Let me move from the idea of prayer to the idea of the presence of God. Because every significant soldier of God, voice for God, hero of the Bible, spent a lot of time in prayer. They spent a lot of time in God's presence. You look at Moses, who spent so much time with God, his face would glow so much, people asked him to wear a veil over his face. And I don't think it's because he was ugly. I mean, he was just bright, you know. David spent so much time in prayer that you get this incredible book of Psalms filled with prayers and declarations and songs about who God is, and, and, you, you, and, and you see this full picture of a guy that after, when you think about David's life, you, you really can identify because he was happy, he was sad, he was angry, he had enemies, all these things, and yet through all of that, he prayed. What is the power of this? What is the power of prayer and of presence? It is only through the presence of God that we truly learn what God is like. A lot of times we pray and we know that God can fulfill, heal, save, change, What we don't know is if God will. Amen? Isn't that? Listen, Have you listened to us pray, especially in the face of a heavy challenge? Dear Lord, I pray that you would fill in the blank, really big problem. And Lord, that you would heal, you would whatever. Lord, and if it is your will, this is what we pray. Don't we throw that little disclaimer? And I know what we say. Well, that's what Jesus did once Did you hear that? That's what Jesus did one time. When he was struggling with enduring our hell on a cross, the wrath of God. He admittedly prayed that he would submit to the will of God rather than avoid the agony that was before him. Every other time he prayed, outside Lazarus' tomb, John 11, he he stands before the tomb and he lifts his voice to heaven says, Father, I'm talking to you, not because we need to chat, but because they need to know we chat. Then he turns to Lazarus' tomb, and what does he say? Lazarus, if it's the will of God, maybe you should come out of there. And if I read it correctly, it went something like this. Lazarus, get up. Think about that. Let that kind, let Bible story and the word of God inform your prayer life rather than your experiences, rather than your circumstances. And as you spend time in God's presence, what you're going to learn about God is that he loves you, that he wants to bless. Did you know that? He wants to bless. He wants to save. He wants things to change he wants it to be better sometimes when we pray we don't get what we want but every time when we pray and we stay in prayer we get what is best eternally so think about that so talked about prayer what are we supposed to do with it oh by one more one more thing Paul said pass it on so let me just throw this out here. Whatever you get from God, whatever God gives to you, should not stay with you. It needs to be passed on. When God gives you a word, when God gives you an encouraging verse, when God gives you a blessing, share it with somebody else. That's what Paul says. Pass it on. In Colossians 4.16, take this letter, read it to Laodicea, read their letter. We are, this community is supposed to share what we get. Church is a potluck, not a buffet meaning we all bring a dish and share it together. So let me close with three things that we need to do to build a prayer life, to transform our prayer life. The Bible tells us to pray first alone. We need to spend time in isolated prayer, just us. Jesus said this in Matthew 6, when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, pray to your Father in private, and then your Father who sees everything, then your Father who sees everything will reward you. So we need to spend time alone in prayer. When we are alone in prayer, we need to remember that we're not just issuing a bunch of decrees and requests to God. We are to enter into the presence of God. We, so when you pray, this isn't about getting the laundry list filled out. It's about encountering God's presence and who he is. That's why the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, Let's come boldly to the throne of grace of our gracious God, and there we'll receive his mercy and we'll find grace to help us when we need it most. We need to pray alone. We need to seek God's presence. The person you are out in your workday and in your family is a product of your alone time with God. So if you're not happy with your life and your attitudes right now, the easiest fix, the quickest fix, is time alone in the presence of your Father. Amen? Okay? Second thing. Pray with others. Several years ago, my wife and I—we've been in ministry a long time, but it's—it's it's so hard to pray together as a couple. We've learned. Maybe you don't struggle with that, but boy, the enemy fought us on it for years. Still does. But we started praying together, and it was—it was hard at first. It was awkward at first. But it didn't take long. Like. Really, the first time we really started praying, and every time we pray together, it was rewarding. But as we began to grow in our prayer life together, we began to learn things about each other that we would not have learned any other way. I began to hear my wife's heart as she cried out for God in our marriage and with our kids and with our problems. And as she praised him for the things he would blessed us with. She began to hear my heart. And so I want to encourage you to pray with other people because the relationships that form and that are forged by prayer and in the presence of our God who's a consuming fire, those relationships are deeper and more profound than anything you could ever know. And so learn to pray together and consider it an honor to pray. I know that you know we get prayer requests and we have prayer chains. We send things out on Facebook for prayer. I just want to remind you that when someone either asks you for prayer or joins you in prayer, that is a privilege. That is holy ground, man. And we need to remember that, that if we get a chance to pray for somebody, they're giving us permission to walk the holy ground of their lives. So yes, pray alone in the presence of God, but please don't let your prayer life stop there. Pray with others. So that you can be in relationship with two or three gathered together, seeking God. And he, he promises to be there. And then pray for opportunities. Man, people need the gospel. They need to know that God loves them. God forgives them. God cares about them. And so pray for divine appointments in your life. Chances for God to show up. Wake up each morning and live like Jesus did. He, he woke up each morning and said, hey, God, what's on the agenda for today? Now, we flip it on its head, don't we? Don't we wake up and go, hey, God, here's my agenda for today. If you could bless that, that'd be cool. We need to flip it around. I love how G- Jesus says to the disciples in John, 4, in John chapter 4, he says, he says, I must go through Samaria. Now, that's the sentence And what he meant was, I got an appointment today with this lady who's a wreck at a well in the heat of the day and I can't miss that appointment. He lived his life by God's agenda. I know that's an intimidating idea if you're not used to praying especially. If you're not yet in a place where you can take a step of faith out into those impressions of the heart, those impressions of God's word, But I just want you to know we should pray for divine appointments. I think if we Christians could learn to live on God's agenda, we could make a huge impact in this world. I think as long as we try and force God to meet our agenda, we're going to keep having failures and limited success. We need God. We don't need all that we can do because we can't do much. We need God's power. We need to start looking at the Christian life not as a natural thing that has divine help, but as a supernatural thing that must be supernaturally empowered. Amen? Can I have the worship team come up? While they're coming up, I have nothing to say. No, I'm just kidding. I always have something to say. I like that song. This is a little out of mine. Simple, childlike. I like childlike because God loves kids. He said, we all got to be like children. And you, my friends, me, we're the light of the world. So as we leave this place today, do whatever God has laid on our hearts. Let's pray for those opportunities. Let's be a light. Let's share what we've been given. Let's stop living in bankruptcy. Like, God, I just need enough to get through today. Let's start living in abundance, starting from God's presence, so filled that we don't have to live as beggars anymore, but we live as powerful. God bless you. Let's stand.